Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us back here again. This is another uh, Always More Wednesday episode where we dive into topics that we've already discussed and uh, just share with even more what the Lord has for us in store. So I pray that you're all doing wonderful. Thanks again for joining us. And in our last uh, two episodes on the series of salvation, series 18, we had two uh, uh, episodes, one titled, The Father Did Not Abandon or Pour Out His Wrath on Jesus, and it went through all of that. And we also talked about, uh, will those who are saved be few? In those last few episodes, we covered a lot of topics. And just as a little recap, um, and I would highly recommend to go back there because today we're going to be hitting on just a few more things, not too, not not a lot, not getting into too much detail like we did in those other episodes. But in the Father did not abandon or pour out his wrath on Jesus, we talked about the issues and the false views that it creates of God and ourselves and, um, and our relationship with him. We talked about uh, just a brief overview of the Catholic view. Did we talk? We talked about did the Father abandon Jesus when He said, "My God, My God, why have You forsaken me?" Um, and then was the Father's wrath poured out on Jesus, and where th- that idea comes from from the Book of Isaiah and Second Corinthians and Romans. And we talk about the atonement, and we also talked about the Old Testament backdrops to each of those uh, different scripture verses. And then we talk about. Um, our, our sufferings being united to Jesus and the Father is was always with Jesus and therefore the Father is always with us in perfect love united to him. And then in our episode of Did Jesus Die for a Few? And we uh, have talked about the range of views. One of them is everyone is saved, which is known as universalism. We talked about the uh, predestination and I should have clarified this. And when I talk about predestination, there is this idea of a fixed number and there's different ideas of what that number is. Uh, and then we talked about the Jehovah's Witnesses view of there's 144,000 that will be saved in the new heavens and the new earth. And then, um, and then there's also ideas about how Jesus only came for a particular uh, group, whether it's the Jews or the Hebrew Israelites um, and the different ideas there. And then we talked about Jesus's teaching, how he came for everybody and the very clear teaching of scripture and tradition. And so in this Always More Wednesday, I wanted to hit on just a few topics, and I already kind of touched on one of them, but was the idea of, of predestination. Predestination, we talked about in, in detail, but really the idea there is that if it's predestined, well, then there's a fixed number of people who are going to heaven and hell, and it's fixed, and therefore it can't change. But from that last episode... We talked about um, it's very clear teaching that Jesus came to save the entire world. And this was actually the kind of the big uproar of the early church was that all of them were were Jews. And uh, so now there's these Gentiles becoming to believe in Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And should they be baptized just like we are? Can they be grafted into this new covenant? And if they are, well, do they need to become Jewish first, right? So they have all these these things to work out, and it would be unthinkable. Like the Gentiles and the pagans are viewed as swine, unclean, cannot come into the temple of Jerusalem, and let alone come into the body of Christ and this new covenant reality that God has done in Jesus. And and then from there that Jesus died for every single person and desires for every single person to live in union with him here and now and for all eternity. And um, and our mission is to proclaim the gospel to every living creature and to go and make disciples of all nations. And God is offering salvation to the entire world, as uh, Luke says in, the Acts, in Acts chapter 28, the last chapter of Acts. And so it's very clear teaching that, um, that Jesus is for everybody, and he desires every single person to be united in him. 
And then another topic that we discussed in that episode was this idea of universalism, that everybody will be saved. And we, we talked about that in detail too. But just to hit that point even further is I should have explained even the title of, of the answer to the question of the title because this question was directed directly towards Jesus. Will those who are saved be few? You'll find this in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22. And it says this, Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the householder has risen up and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. He will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There you will weep and gnash your teeth. Then you will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, you and you yourselves thrust out. And men will come from east and west and from north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. And so here, it's actually beautiful, just kind of a summarization of that the entire episode about predestination and universalism is that one, uh, not everybody's going to be saved. And two, Jesus desires everybody to be saved. And three, the Gentiles are going to be grafted into, into the, the people of God, into Judaism. Here he says that people are come from north, south, east, and west. Those are people who are coming outside of, of Judah and Israel to come into the kingdom of God and sit at table with, with Jesus in the, in the Eucharistic church. And for all of eternity and that in that celebration, that wedding banquet in heaven that happens for all eternity. And then the next topic that I wanted to touch on a little bit more in this episode of this Always More Wednesday episode was our second to last episode, which was the father did not abandon or pour out his wrath on Jesus. We did an overview of that earlier on, but I wanted to draw out a few more things. Um, uh, up from scripture and also uh, things that I've learned from Brent Petrie from a video that just came out like after I, or at least I saw it after I released my episode. And so Brent Petrie, um, if you look him up on YouTube or just Google him, he's amazing. He's one of my favorite theologians, but um, look up Catholic Productions on YouTube. They come out with videos every single week and they're typically like eight to 15 minutes and they are phenomenal. They will deepen your uh, knowledge and uh, love of scripture, Jesus and the church, and all these, uh, the Jewish backdrop of what Jesus did and all these things in the New Testament, how they're fulfilled in Jesus. And so anyhow, uh, I, I'm leaving the link in the in the show notes too for this specific episode, but we're going to be talking about how Christ, when St. Paul says, Christ became sin who knew no sin. And we did talk about this a little bit too, um, but and he became sin. He entered into into our sin, and and also we also talked about that book of the prophet Isaiah about the suffering servant who was who was described as appeared to be stricken and afflicted by God. This was a suffering servant in Isaiah, who that is a prophetic link to to Jesus, who ultimately fulfills as God's suffering servant who will save uh, save Israel and save the entire world. And in these two texts that. Christ became sin who knew no sin and then God's uh, and and uh, other people believing that God's wrath was uh, poured upon him because of what is said in Isaiah about the Lord's suffering servant. 
So first, sin is described as missing the mark. It's somebody who missed a target. And so our aim is God. Our aim, our purpose that we are made from and made for is perfect love himself, which is God himself. And so it's to miss that target. And so it's times where due to our broken humanity, our our minds are darkened, our wills are weakened, and we're divided because of the power of sin and the, the, the power of the fall upon us. And we're under the power of Satan, who is the God of this world, Jesus says. And, um, and so oftentimes we can fall under uh, uh, that, right? So sin is evil because it's not from God. And sin is an absence of God's, uh, of, of, of God, and therefore um, not God's will. God wants to be united to humanity from all eternity, and sin is evil, and sin is an absence of God. And so Christ it says specifically that He knew no sin, and He was without sin. So Christ did not become evil, right? Because He does He did not know sin, but He became sin. And so there's a few different uh, there's a few different takes on this. One is that he appeared to be stricken as if he were a sinner. So this is kind of uh, both pulling in that Second Corinthians about Christ became sin and Isaiah, who he appeared to be stricken and afflicted by God. Jesus appeared to be stricken as if he were a sinner. So he took on the curse because in Deuteronomy 21 verse tw- uh, 23, it says anybody crucified or hung on a tree is accursed by God. And so Jesus literally took on the curse of humanity. He took on the penalty due to sin which was which was uh, separation and death. And so he entered into that broken humanity as he was he was uh, he was under cover to destroy the works of the devil. So he looked, appeared to be stricken and afflicted by God. And yet in the midst of that, this is precisely the point of Jesus is that is that in the midst of that appearing to be stricken, he, God was with him. God was with him because he was not a sinner and because he um, was, perfectly loved and he was perfectly loving. And so Christ became sin. And another way to also look at it is that uh, when it says Christ became sin, as we talked about in our last episode, was that he became a sin offering. This is the same script. This is the same Greek word that's used to refer to sin offerings that would happen in the temple. And another uh, interesting fact is that when it's actually first described in the Old Testament, this sin offering, it wasn't known as sin offering. It was literally just sin. I would offer the sin. And so they would offer sin offerings and be known as offering sin. And so you would offer that back to God for reconciliation. And so Jesus, who appeared to be stricken as if he were a sinner, he took on the curse. He, he, he took on the curse of humanity and for us to be reconciled, to be united with God. And so uh, there's more on that and from the Brant Petrie video. That's amazing. And then a few uh, scripture verses that I, that I would like to read. So Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 23 through 28. This is uh, Peter speaking. He says this, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, having loosed the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, moreover, my flesh will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So St. Peter sees this, crucifixion of Jesus is one 
this this uh, plan of God to reconcile men, but it was men that were that crucified Jesus and killed by the hands of lawless men. But it was God who in the midst of that raised Jesus up and he destroyed the works of Satan by sin and death and it, because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by it. And so, and then in the midst of this, when David, uh, he specifically calls out uh, uh, King David who says this, but he's referring it to Jesus about how that the Lord is always with me and that he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So Jesus is not shaken. He went straight He went straight to the cross, um, even in the midst of the worst suffering that we could ever even imagine. And he, his heart was glad and his tongue rejoiced because he knew that his humanity will dwell in hope that the Father does and it will not um, let him or abandon his soul to Hades or let him see corruption because because Jesus was full of gladness with the Father's presence. And then there's a few more times that Jesus himself in the Gospel of John, we're going to go through four, about four uh, different um, scripture verses where Jesus uh, talks about the Father being with him and this beautiful insight into the crucifixion of, of Jesus. So we're going to start with Jesus talking about him as uh, referring to himself as being lifted up like the bronze serpent was in the Old Testament. This is in John chapter 8, starting in verse 21 through 30. So I'll just read it. Again, he said to them, I go away. You will seek me and die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Then said the Jews, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are not, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. They said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Even what I have told you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They said they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I, I always do what is pleasing to him. So this is such a beautiful uh, passage that Jesus himself is talking about how he is from God. And he even refers to himself as God because he is known as I am he. And he talks about how the Father is always with him. The Father is always with me. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. So the Father and Jesus from all eternity, even in his humanity, um, because he is the, still the same the divine person, he is united to the, to the Father in perfect love, and they cannot be separated. And then he ta- refers to himself as when he, uh, as the, the bronze serpent, because when in the Old Testament, um, this is when the Israelites had the snakes that went out and bit them and killed them, these these serpents. And God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and hold it up and anybody that looks at it will be healed. And so Jesus becomes that because we he took on the that curse of sin. He hung on a tree. He was crucified. And when we look at that, this, cur- this curse that came upon us from us sinning and falling apart from God, Jesus takes on that. And yet when we look at that, when we look at Jesus, crucified, perfect love poured out. That is our salvation. And so we're saved and we live. And and so he says that when you lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father taught me. And what's beautiful is that 
Here he refers both to the crucifixion when he lifted me up. So when he is lifted up from the world on the crucifix, this is precisely when that you will know that he is God and that he does nothing on his own authority but speaks thus as the Father taught me. So he is speaking perfectly of the Father's love when he's crucified because the Father is always with him in the, in the midst of all that brokenness. The next verse we'll read is John chapter 13, verse 31 through 32. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and in him God is glorified. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And so Jesus here is talking about um, when he goes, this is uh, at the Last Supper, so he's about to enter into his betrayal. Because when we heard at the very beginning of that reading, when it says when he had gone out, that's in reference to Judas. Because Judas, just before this, left the meal and he was about to go betray Jesus. So when Judas left, this was his time to be betrayed, handed over into the the Jewish authorities who would then turn him over to the Romans, who would then crucify him. Uh, well, I guess scourge him and then crucify him and make him carry his own cross. This is precisely, now is the Son of Man glorified. And in, and in him, God is glorified. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And so the Father is with Jesus in this intimate moment where every he is abandoned, he is uh, he's, he's betrayed about, by every single person that he knows and loves besides uh, Mama Mary, Mary Magdala, and, and John at least. And yet, the one who is always with him is God the Father. God is always with him, not pouring out his wrath upon him or not abandoning him. God is always with him. The next uh, scripture passage that we'll read is John 14, 30-31. This is Jesus speaking. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He's talking about Satan. The ruler of this world is coming. Satan is coming. But he has no power over me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the, the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And so in the precise moment where uh, he's talking about his betrayal and he's about to be going to the cross, that it's the ruler of this world, Satan, who can't help himself. He wants to destroy God. And then he sees God take on human flesh. And in that human flesh is the image of God. He wants to destroy us out of envy for, for God's plan for us. He thinks that he has now won the war. And yet Jesus, using that he's in his camouflage of humanity. He defeats him by his divinity in the midst of our humanity. And so in the midst of this brokenness, he calls it that the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no power over me. And why is this? Because he does the Father, because he does as the Father has commanded him. So that the world may know that I love the Father. And so the Father is always with Jesus in the midst of, of this. And this is, we're going to talk about this, how this transforms our view of how we suffer and our lives and why Christians down through the centuries, starting with Peter and Paul and all the apostles and Stephen, the first martyr, all these people who gave their lives for Jesus, they went in there with confidence because, because Jesus, their Lord and Savior and our teacher, when Jesus says that those who, uh, their, the students become like their teacher, and so we become like our teacher in all things. And so we become this this lamb that out of love lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters and not out of fear because death has been defeated. Sin and death have been defeated by the power of Jesus. And so we follow Jesus to the cross with great hope and joy. But this is why a lot of martyrs have died with great joy and uh, have been killed under great distress and still had a smile on their face because they had this great hope because 
what was happening to them, this slight momentary affliction, as St. Paul says, compares nothing to the glory that is set before them. And so uh, the Father is always with Jesus, and he's always with us. Another beautiful thing is that Jesus, when he talks about the Eucharistic cup, and he says, take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood. He says that he will not drink the cup until the kingdom comes, until it's fulfilled. And guess what? This last cup that he's referring to is the is the cup of consummation. So, at, and we talk about this in talks of the Eucharist, but at the Passover meal that Jesus was celebrating on that Holy Thursday before he gave his life, he was celebrating the Passover meal. And they would have four cups of wine and bitter herbs and and uh, unleavened bread. And they would eat and they would pass this these cups of wine around. And it says that Jesus, after they had the blessing cup, they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Every Jewish person would know, well, they just had the cup of blessing, the, the third cup, but they didn't finish. The, this, they missed the climax. They missed the fourth cup. They sang a hymn and he went out to the Mount of Olives. Well, this is precisely where he says that he will not drink that cup until the kingdom is fulfilled. And he goes to the garden. He says, let this cup pass from me. He's talking about this same cup. And then it's here on the cross where he says in the Gospel of John, I thirst so that the scripture might be fulfilled, it says. And then he did drink the wine and he says, it is finished. And that word can also be translated, it is consummated. So the cup of consummation has been fulfilled. And what does this mean? This is the fulfillment of heaven and earth being wed together. Heaven is now wed to earth, God to humanity. The kingdom of darkness of sin and death of the old order is overcome by the kingdom of light of the new creation. And so Jesus precisely says that I will not drink this cup until the kingdom comes. And yet he drinks the cup and says it is finished on the cross. So on the cross, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has done from what his plan was for all eternity was to wed himself to his creation and uh, perfectly to humanity. And so Jesus has this intimacy with the Father. There's another link that I'm going to have in the show notes to this homily that my boy Father Patrick gave on Palm Sunday that was one of the most fire homilies I've ever heard and get ready to cry and be on fire with Jesus. But um, uh, in this beautiful reflection about the fa- this intimate uh, this intimacy with the Father, and this is how Father Patrick says it, it was an intimacy with the Father, Jesus gave his life for us. An intimacy, this is the key part, an intimacy with the Father. So when Jesus gave his life for us, he was being intimate with the Father. And it says, uh, he talks about how the, the word for obedience literally means to give your ear to. So to be obedient is to give your ear to. So to be disobedient is to not listen, right? So Jesus says that he does what the Father commands him. He's perfectly obedient. So the Father was speaking to Jesus and Jesus would remain obedient or he would continue listening and he would have his ear to the Father all the way through. And so there's this been there's been beautiful reflections about how the Father was actually speaking to Jesus all the way through to his death. And this highlights why, like, Jesus is speaking to the Father um, all the way to the cross and on the cross and why he says his last, uh, his last breath is, Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. There's a beautiful, um, uh, this is not church teaching. This isn't a public uh, revelation or nothing like that. It's just a, a Bible scholar who loves Jesus who talks about he fully is convicted and believes that God the Father spoke Song of Songs, uh, chapter 2, verse 10 through 14 or 15, to Jesus before Jesus said, Into your hands 
Father, I commend my spirit. And here's what that song of songs scripture verse says, and starting in verse 10. Arise, my love, my dove, my fair one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of pruning has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the covert of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is comely. My beloved is mine and I am his. He pastures his flock among the lilies. And then in response to this, Jesus says, Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. So Jesus, all the way through his last breath and his humanity, had a listening ear, an obedient ear, an ear to the Father. And the Father was speaking to him all the way through. Jesus was speaking to him all the way through because the Father was with him not pouring out all his wrath on him and not definitely not abandoning him. Um, Jesus was always accompanied by the Father, and we too are accompanied by the Father. And this is why um, now we, as Christians, it's not Jesus did this for me, and now I am still this person who then it's all extrinsic. No, St. Paul, he realized, and all of Scripture and all of the New Testament, is that, no, it's as a Christian, it's Christ's life in me. I'm a little Christian. I'm a little. I'm. I'm a little Christ. That's what Christian means. Little Christ. I'm a, a little anointed one. I'm united to the Messiah. I'm united to the one who gave his life for the world, and I follow him because it's this is life in me. And uh, Saint Peter knew this. He had, he at the Last Supper told Jesus, "I will die for you." And Jesus says, "You're going to deny me, but I'm still going to be with you. I'm. St- I still love you." denies him three times and then Jesus looks at him intently as he is about to go and be scourged. And so in this moment, Peter denies Jesus and obviously he's broken by it. His broken humanity is that's that, that weight that he carries, that burden. And then after the resurrection, Jesus meets uh, St. Peter on, on the shore after the big catch that he has, just like when the first time he met Jesus. Now it's Jesus inviting him back in. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Do you love me, Peter? You know everything, Lord. You know that I love you. So he gives him this threefold, uh, this threefold confession of love to Jesus because of his threefold denial. And it's precisely here in this intimate, in this intimate moment between Jesus and Peter, where Peter denied him after telling him, "I'll die for you, Jesus." Jesus brings him back into the fold. I love you. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And it's precisely here now that Jesus says, yeah, you denied me before after saying that you will die for me. But now the grace will be given to you where you will die for me. Jesus says this in John chapter 21, starting in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you fastened your own belt and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will fasten your belt for you and carry you where you do not wish to go. And John interprets this and says, This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. And after this, Jesus said to him, Follow me. So as Christians, we follow Jesus just as Peter did. And it's here that uh, it says it's Peter's death will glorify God. Why? Because in the midst of death, God brings life. And so we follow Jesus. And so the, the reason I bring this up 
and uh, why it's so important is because the way that we view Jesus's death and how God the Father and God the Holy Spirit and God the Son were interacting in that moment precisely impacts how we view our suffering and how we view our death and how we view our witness to Jesus in, in this world. And it's precisely here that the Gospels say that Peter's death will glorify God. Why? Because he ends up being crucified upside down for confessing the name of Jesus. But he's not afraid of it. And it's not God the Father pouring out his wrath. And it's not God the Father abandoning him. It's not Jesus abandoning him. It's not Jesus leaving him an orphan. It's precisely in that that God is glorified because God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is there in perfect love because sin and death have been defeated. And now we have nothing to fear. And God wants to be united to his people for all of eternity. Uh, St. Paul, he talks about, we talked about all the things. He, he rejoices in his sufferings. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was whipped. He, all these things. And yet he rejoices in his sufferings and he calls them slight momentary afflictions. <laughs> we don't know any of the sufferings that St. Paul went through. We can't even fathom that. And yet slight momentary afflictions, he calls them. And St. Paul is so moved by the Spirit, so filled with God's presence and so filled for the love of Jesus that the person that he was once persecuting, he will, he's willing to die for. In fact, there's a time in the, the, the book of Acts that talks about St. Paul being in uh, this region and he's so stoned that people are convinced that he's dead and they leave him. So they thought for sure he was dead after they just stoned him. So he leaves the city and guess what? He says that he returns back there. He returned back into these cities, into these region, into this region, to, to the same people who just stoned him to continue proclaiming the gospel. This is not a person that's afraid of suffering because of because God is with him in this most powerful way. And here's what he says about all the sufferings. Another thing that he says about all of his sufferings that he took on. In Ephesians 3, starting in verse 12 through 13, this is what St. Paul says. In Jesus, whom we have boldness and confidence of access through our faith in him. So what does he say? We have access to God and and the church, this manifold wisdom of God. And it, right before this verse, he talks about the, the church being um, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And so we have this boldness and confidence of access through our faith in Jesus And he says this, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. (laughs) Do not be discouraged. Do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you. So he acknowledges that for other people, he is willing to suffer, which is their glory. Why? Because in the midst of suffering, in the midst of this, this broken world that we proclaim love in and truth in, it's going to bear suffering. As I think, I think it's Saint Paul elsewhere that talks about how those who who wish to live a go- a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. <laughs> so suffering is not foreign to a Christian because Jesus went there. Jesus says, "If the world hates you, it hated me first. If the world, if they, you think they persecute me, they're going to persecute you too. Because why? Because we are united to Jesus. Jesus's life is in us." Jesus' life is in us, and yet he who lives in us is greater than he who lives in the world. So the one who prowls about like a roaring lion, Jesus is greater than. So I have no fear. He has no power over us as Christians. Sin and death are destroyed and defeated, and they have no power over us. This is why we have great hope and joy and love and confidence and boldness, because we have access through our faith to Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit to proclaim love and truth to a world that's desperately in need for it. And if they reject us and they hate us, 
like I'm going to continue loving, continue forgiving, and not just for the sake of suffering, but to be united to Christ. And so, as St. Paul says as well in Corinthians, proclaim Christ and him crucified because God's love is greater than death, that we have power over sin and death in Jesus and we have nothing to fear. And so, to conclude, when there's this belief about God the Father pouring out his wrath or abandoning Jesus, it cannot be further from the truth according to Jesus himself, scripture, and um, this intimate union and the work of God and what he wants to do for all of humanity. It's in the, precisely in this where people are, are mocking Jesus on the cross. If you truly are the Messiah, save yourself. If you truly are the Son of God, he'll save you. Bring, you, bring yourself down from there. People are mocking him because he took on, he looks like somebody as a, suffering as a sinner. It looks like he's a sinner because he's crucified and humiliated, the most humiliating, excruciating death that we could ever imagine. He's taking on all of our sins on the cross. And it looks like he's abandoned and stricken and afflicted by God. And yet, this is precisely the gospel, is that in the midst of that darkness, God is giving light. In the midst of lies, God is giving truth. In the midst of chaos, God is giving peace. In the midst of doubt, God gives faith and trust. In the midst of sin, God is giving hope. In the midst of evil, God is giving love. In the midst of death, God is resurrecting life. He's a good father that we can trust with our entire lives. And he wants you to walk in this confidence and freedom that Jesus had, that we have as Christians. And so God the Father is always with us, even in the midst. If it leads to us being crucified, blessed be the name of God. Blessed be the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because in the midst of that darkness, God is shining his light. In the midst of that death, God is giving life. And in the midst of any persecution, any hatred, any evil, any violence, God is giving love because God's love is greater than anything that we could ever go through. And this is precisely the center of the gospel.